Well, after a few months away, we're finally back here on Ralphie Report Radio with another podcast. I'm your host, Jack Stern. Obviously, we won't be able to bring you up to date on everything that's happened in the past few months, but we will talk about a lot of what's happened recently here on this week's episode. New coaching hires. No, we're not talking about Mel Tucker. That happened too long ago now, but we will talk about the two new assistants that were announced this week. Traveris Tillman, the new defensive backs coach. Al Punu, I hope I pronounced that right. If not, I'll surely get it right down the road in the coming months. The new tight end coach. Talk about the senior seniors on the football team who are now competing in the NFL Players Association Bowl. Trying to bring up that draft stock. Representing CU. We'll get into those guys. What's at stake for them? A lot of turnover on the football team. Obviously, that happens with the coaching change. A couple guys deciding to leave the team. Talk about the impact of that, including several impact players and one potential starter as well. Basketball team has had a rough past couple of weeks, dating back to the Diamond Head Classic about a month ago in Hawaii. Talk about how the injury of McKinley Wright will impact the short and long-term future of the team going forward and what they need to do to get back on track, what players need to step up in his absence. All that more, so be sure to buckle your seat and seatbelt and stay tuned. Starting off, though, we'll have to talk about the new football head co- football coaching hires. I know that's what everyone is interested in, so I'll just get to that first. Traveris Tillman, we'll start with him, defensive backs coach. Like some of the other assistants, he coached with Mel Tucker before. He was the defensive quality control coordinator at Georgia the past three seasons. Worked under Tucker last year. Comes to the Buffs, actually, with no position coach experience, which is kind of worrisome for in some regard, right? But on the flip side, he played seven years in the NFL. He's a very successful college player at Georgia Tech. And it's not easy to stay in the NFL for seven years, so he obviously did something right. And at this point in time, it seems like Mel Tucker is somewhat prioritizing success as a player over coaching experience, and let me explain why. He wants guys who have the muscle memory and remember what it was like to be in the situation. The two defensive backs coaches last year, Shadon Brown and Ashley Ambrose, came to the Buffs with over 10 years of position coach experience. And they kind of worked their way up a little bit. Tillman was one of these guys who moved up the coaching tree very quickly and didn't really have to pay his dues as much at the lower level. Ambrose was a guy who played in the NFL, so that was nice. But Tillman is someone who really has a lot of experience. And just being around that Georgia football program every day, Kirby Smart, a guy like Tucker, a defensive mastermind, so to speak, I think you inherit a lot of intelligence through osmosis, so to speak. Because you're just around people who are that intelligent and you learn the ways of doing things. You learn what's good and bad. It's the exact reason that a lot of coaches will take a lower level position at Alabama because they have a reputation of building guys for success. Nick Saban, the head coach, is known as a tough-nosed guy who gets it done. So they want to learn that culture, and that's why they go to him. 
Alpumpunu, hope I pronounced that right the second time, is another guy with significant NFL experience. He played seven years in the league, but unlike Tillman, he also has a lot of position coaching experience as well. Nine years, two at his alma mater, Weber State, seven at the University of Idaho. So he's, he has a little bit more experience coaching players. He was a very successful tight end in the NFL, kind of an XY guy, someone who could line up as a pass catcher, but also was very good at blocking. I mean, those are pretty rare to find in today's NFL, right? I think he's going to instill that tough mentality in them, though. And I think they needed a change from Gary Barnardi. Bernardi was older, kind of seemed disinterested in the day-to-day -day operations of the team at, at, the t at times. And one thing about Bernardi that I think raised red flags in my mind, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? There's good position coaches who are, comp who are satisfied with where they are. But he had never called plays. He had never really been the guy, an offensive coordinator. He had just been jumping between offensive line, tight ends, H-backs, running backs. He was, a, he was a position coach pretty much his entire career. To me, that was kind of worrisome because that showed that no coach really had the trust or thought he had that type of creativity. And I'm not trying to knock down guys who are career position coaches because there are many very good ones. I mean, just look at Darian Hagan, the Buffs running back coach, one of the best in the business. He's been doing it for over 10 years now. It's not necessarily a bad thing that he's not seen as that type of creative guy. But I think Pupunu will have more of an understanding of the offense of a whole and how guys fit in than Bernardi because of his playing experience. Remember, Bernardi doesn't have that. He did play in college, but not in the NFL. And having nine more years of playing experience, believe me, makes a huge difference. So I really like both of those hires. I will say this about Tillman, though. That could be a boomer bis decision by Tucker. Definitely a risky one to bring in a guy who doesn't really have any position coaching experience. He played the position. I believe that speaks volumes. I believe that adds a ton to his credibility. But how can he translate that to coaching the defensive backs? He did a good job doing it at Georgia before the Sugar Bowl, but that's not very hard. Well, I don't want to say it's not very hard, but it's not as hard when you have a superstar like DeAndre Baker and all those four- and five-star recruits. He's coming to Colorado with significantly less talent, as Tucker is as well. And I don't know how he's going to be able to adapt to that. It's certainly going to test his coaching aptitude from the get-go. I mean, just look at the depth chart at cornerback as it sits right now. Delrick Abrams, kind of a raw prospect, but has that big frame that's coachable. Dante Wigley and Trey Udofia both struggled at times last year, as did McKee Blackman. It's a, it's a secondary that's struggling right now, and they don't really have that much talent, especially at the cornerback position. Chris Miller is a nice prospect, and he was hurt for a large portion of last season. But when he was in there starting, he struggled as well. I, and it's not just about coaching them up from a technique standpoint either. I think it's a mental thing too. Because at times last year, it, seems like their it seemed like their confidence took a hit. So Tillman's going to have to build 
both things back up. And it became clear from several players I talked to that Shadon Brown and Ashley Ambrose had kind of fallen out of popularity with the players. So it was definitely time for a change. And maybe a younger guy who has that relatability and energy will fare better in that room. I At least I think so. Moving on to the guys who left the CU football program, though. Israel Antwine, the right side defensive end starter last year, decided to transfer back to Oklahoma State. I don't think this is really a big loss by any means. They have a lot of depth at the position, especially with a guy like Terrence Lang, who should play a much larger role in the defense next season. And then you have a staple like Mustafa Johnson, who was really good last year, coming back as well. So I don't think losing Antoine is that big of a deal. But anytime a starter leaves, it's not a good thing, just because of the continuity on the line. One thing I think will help ease that transition is the fact that they also got a new defensive line coach. So they kind of have a clean slate now, everyone. Another guy who left was offensive tackle Aaron Hagler. He was kind of in and out of the starting lineup last year. But at minimum, he would have been a nice depth piece, especially as someone who's been around the program for a couple years and who can block, maybe serve as a swing tackle. Frank Phillip who made a couple starts last year at right tackle, is expected to transfer. Nothing official yet, but that's what word on the street is. He was a highly touted recruit out of high school, originally committed to Ohio State. So I expect him to be successful somewhere else. I think Phillip will be the biggest loss for the Buffs because he showed the most potential. Yeah, he didn't win the job out of fall camp. At the same time, when he came out and he was in there, he looked good. Both he and Will Sherman made leaps and strides at both tackle positions, respectively, last year. Now they're going to have to decide they're going to have an open competition at the position. And with offensive, the offensive line being the major glaring weakness on this team, I think that's the, that's the loss that's easily going to hurt them the most. But speaking about expectations... Because that's something that a lot of people have talked about the past few weeks. From the moment Mel Tucker got on campus, he said that this is a no-excuse program and that he wants to win championships. Okay, that's a nice goal. But he didn't give a timeline. And talking like that is nice. It's good to generate some excitement. Especially after a, you know, a guy like Mike McIntyre, who was a little more bland in here. Didn't seem like he had his sights set as high. It, it was nice to hear that. But is that really attainable? And, how, and if so, when do, you, do they expect to do it? Because I don't, I don't see it happening next year. Just looking at their schedule next year, they play Stanford. The, the Pac-12 North teams they play are Stanford, Oregon. Last year they played Oregon State. And, oh, they play Stanford. Oregon, Washington, and Washington State. All four of those teams are excellent, by the way, and are going to be hard games, especially considering you have to go on the road to play Oregon, go on the road to play Washington. Or uh, Washington State, excuse me. Their schedule next year is very difficult, and I don't even know if they'll be able to make a bowl game and reach 6-6 six and six with that hard level. They had a much easier schedule this year and underachieved massively. 
I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Seven straight losses after starting 5-0 and is the definition of underachieving. But still, after Tucker set the standard by saying he wanted to win, nas- or win national championships, how would the fan base feel if they went 5-7 and seven? or even 4-8? and eight? Looking at their schedule, the only two games that I say are definitive wins are Colorado State, which is their first game of the year, and Air Force, which is their third game of the year. And Air Force, I don't even think is a gimme because spread option teams that, you know, are running all these weird type plays from the, you know, it's they're hard to defend. And they could have some trickery up their sleeve. I think there's a good shot they win that game, but I don't think it's a gimme. Those are the two games, though, I would chalk up as wins if I had to look at it definitively right now. Nebraska is going to be coming to Folsom Field with a bad taste in their mouth, trying to avenge last year's loss in Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. I think they're going to be a much better football team. Arizona State, that's a home. That's a, last year, the Buffs beat them by seven points, but that was at Folsom Field. This time around, they have to travel to the desert and play there. Khalil Tate has given the Buffs a ton of trouble the past two years. He set an FBS rushing record two years ago, and then last year he threw for 350 yards and five touchdowns. Might as well put on a kryptonite cape or wear Joker face paint or something like that because the Buffs can't, whatever it is, they're having trouble defending him. They've never beat USC since joining the Pac-12. Washington is a much more talented team than them on paper. And I bet that Washington State will have a very good quarterback next year, given Mike Leach's track record. Oregon is always a good team. Stanford is always a good team. They don't have Oregon State on the schedule anymore, like they did the past two years. This is a hard schedule. And they could conceivably go in 4-8 and eight and regress from a record standpoint, but I don't think fans should be disappointed if that happens. Right now, I think it's all about showing progress. Progress can come in a lot of forms, too. I think if they're competitive in those games and they're able to put up a fight, then things will look a lot better. Remember, last year they got blown out by two scores or more in four games. Four games, four out of their seven losses, more than half. They're able to stick with the big dogs, Washington and USC, who they both lost to by two possessions. Maybe even give Washington State a fight, which they haven't done in two years. They've gotten destroyed by them the past two years. Then I think there's reason for optimism because fans can't expect this guy to come in here, snap his fingers, and the football team is all of a sudden great. That's simply unrealistic given the talent on the roster. Just look at it. Name the elite players on either side of the ball. On offense, I think the only true stud is LaVisca Chenault, who should have another outstanding campaign. But can he stay healthy? He should be a first-round pick come next year's draft. On the defensive side of the ball, they have some studs. They have Nate Landman, one of the best linebackers in the conference. Mustafa Johnson, great defensive end. And... Davion Taylor, buffbacker, I think is going to take huge strides this year because he has a guy like Mel Tucker coaching him. But at the same time, is that enough to really compete with these big dogs in the Pac-12? 
I like what Tucker's doing. He's bringing in these big, beefy linemen to compete in the trenches because it starts and ends up front, right? He's, he's making moves in the right direction. I just don't think it will happen overnight or even next year or even the year after for that matter. And big expectations are nice, but for right now, I think they should focus on getting six wins. Obviously, it's a one-game-at-a-time type season, but before people are posting on Twitter about championships and this and that, win a couple games first. Get some traction, and then prove your worth. Don't talk about it. Talk is cheap. Actions mean everything. That's my take on the 2019 season. Don't be disappointed if they regress or don't make a bowl game again because of the schedule. Moving on to guys, seniors who graduated this past season, though, and are now out in Southern California. I would say sunny Southern California, but just looking at the Twitter, at these guys' Twitter, it's been cloudy and rainy the past few days. Terrible luck, I guess, right? Anyway, Juwan Winfrey, Trayvon McMillan, Javier Edwards, the three buffs out there competing. I think the one with the most to prove has to be Trayvon McMillan. Because he's had an interesting career. He started off running for 1,064 yards and seven touchdowns his freshman year at Virginia Tech. At that point, a lot of people thought the sky was the limit for them for him. Coaching staff change. He didn't get as nearly as much playing time the next two seasons. Then he transferred to Colorado, rushed for 1,007 yards, seven touchdowns, over 100 yards receiving. And guess what? He had an offensive line that struggled mightily. Imagine what he could have done behind a good one. Just think about that. I think he has unlimited potential, and he's being slept on a lot, especially when you look at his stature. He fits the bill of an NFL running back today. Big, tough, physical, hard to bring down. I know he'll prove it, but the good thing about the NFL Players Association Bowl is it's an opportunity for some of the lesser guys to get a good look and really prove their worth. And unlike Phil, who, while successful, lacked that big, bulky stature that Trayvon has, he really looks the part of a running back, which is going to help him massively if he can play like one in that game tomorrow. He might be able to play his way into a draft spot just based on this, to be honest with you. Because NFL teams like projects, or prospects, rather, and guys they th who they think their talents will transfer well to the pros. They like guys like that. They understand that may, you know, maybe things didn't go great in college. And you know sometimes guys are their best in the pros. Just look at Tom Brady. Six-round pick, 13-time Pro Bowler. First ballot gold jacket Hall of Famer in Canton. So I think the, good, the best football is yet to come for this guy, especially if he goes to a good team with the right scheme and situation, he could really be an impact player. Winfrey is another really interesting guy, the wide receiver. Another tall player, 6'3". Missed five games last year with a high ankle sprain, which was rough for him. Missed parts of, well, struggled to get on the field the year before because he was recovering from the torn ACL that he suffered in fall camp the, the year before, which forced him to take a redshirt season. But if he shows that, if he finds a way to stay on the field, I think he could potentially make an NFL roster as well. 
just watching him at the pra- in the practices thus far, he's really stood out and made an impact. He's, a, he's not overly fast, but as a precision route runner, he's very good. And that, that goes a long way in the NFL because it's all about technique. It's not entirely speed. I know a lot of people like to watch these Tyreek Hills and Tyra Cohen's put on a show, but still, at the wide receiver position, it's all about route running, and I think that he's another guy who could prove his worth. I don't think he's shown enough at the college level to be drafted, unfortunately. He did have a couple good games late last season, especially against Arizona where he had over 100 receiving yards, but it's going to be hard for him to raise his stock up that much when his production hasn't been great. He had two excellent games in his collegiate career. I don't think that's enough. But I think he could potentially earn an opportunity somewhere that allows him to propel forward and make a team. Because of how good, just like Trayvon, his skills will transfer to the NFL. Third guy out there is Javier Edwards, the defensive tackle, who made big strides forward this year. He cut down his weight a lot, was able to stay on the field more, was around the football, which I think is something a lot of fans expected. And he's a really big guy, so he's going to be another person of interest. But I think that he likely will not get drafted either, unless one team or a few teams fall in love and decide to take a chance as a late-round pick. I think Trayvon has the best chance of being drafted, which is why he has the most at stake tomorrow. Anyway, that's enough gridiron talk. We'll switch over to the sport that's currently in session being played on the hardwood, men's basketball, where it has been a month to forget for this basketball team, for this squad. Kinley Wright was playing, it was revealed after the injury that forced him to leave against Washington, was playing through a torn, partially torn labrum in his shoulder, dislocated that shoulder, it was revealed also after the game, and now they don't know when he'll be back. He's out indefinitely. That is currently his status. But who knows? It could be another couple of weeks. What I'm trying to say is they're going to need to figure out a way to score points without him. And that's tough. That is really tough. Losing your leader at this point of the season when we're only a couple games into conference play, that's not a good sign. Especially considering the other guys' play have significantly trailed off on a nightly basis with him on the floor, especially in that past weekend against Arizona, the Arizona schools. One guy who I think is going to really need to carry a lot of the weight, at least from a scoring vantage point, is Deshaun Schwartz. He's averaged 19 points the past two games. He's a good shooter from all over the floor. Love his southpaw shot. But he's going to have to be more consistent, and he's going to have to come to play every night because they need that type of effort from him. And when I think, every time I think he's turned a corner, the next game he'll come out, look, off, out of sync, distracted, not all there. But I expect big things from him. I expect that consistency to even out. Especially now that we've really settled into the season, we're more than halfway done as a matter of fact. It's time for him to step up and be that guy. Another person I'm expecting a lot out of on the scoring end is Mr. Tyler Bay. He has been, aside from McKinley, arguably the biggest impact player on this team. Very physical down low, inside. He's third in the Pac-12 in rebounding. 
But the main area where he lacks is a perimeter jump shot. And he's missed a lot of those as well. If he can develop that a little bit more, work on it, and also be more aggressive in getting inside because I've seen him pass up a couple of shot opportunities, he can be that guy for this Bucks team. And while there's never a good time or place for your star player to get hurt, I think this potentially was a good thing for the basketball team in the sense that it's going to force other guys to take initiative. Because it seemed like they had developed in a dependence on McKinley. And also, their next stretch of games on the road is not exactly the toughest of the year. So it's good to let him rest up at this time and get better and get healthy for when they need him. Their next game, though, is not going to be easy. They go on the road to play Utah, who have some very good scorers, Donnie Tillman, Cedric Barefield. Their de Utah's defense, just like the football team, is very good. After that, they head to Northern California, the Bay Area, to play the two worst teams in the conference in Stanford and Cal. Those are must-win games, in my opinion. I don't care if it's on the road. I know winning on the road is hard, but you blew out Washington State on your home floor, and they're significantly better than both of those teams this year. You need to win these games. McKinley's injury can impact the long-term future of this program, too. I really believe so. Because after going upward for a few years, it kind of feels like this, bas this program has stagnated a little bit, the basketball team. They've kind of just been mediocre. Similar, in a sense, to the football team. They need to turn that corner and get better. And it's going to be hard to do this year with McKinley, but at least show some progress. At least win a few more games. Maybe sneak into the NIT tournament. Because it's getting old. And unlike football, which is popular and people will come out no matter what, the CU Event Center has been empty recently, aside from the Washington game especially in non-conference play. If you're trying to generate excitement, the on-court product needs to be good. I don't care who's hurt. They have enough talent on this roster to win games. Do I expect them to get an NCAA tournament bid? No. Or even an NIT tournament bid? Not necessarily. I mean, I think it would be a good attainable goal for them, but... I just think that you need to show some forward progress here at this point in the season. You have B Bay was a highly touted recruit, as was Schwartz. Lucas Seward is a talented player who showed a lot of potential earlier in the season. Where's he been? Where have his shots been? Tad Boyle did say he wanted to get, the ball, get him at least 10 to 15 shots a game. He hasn't had that. So where are the creative ways finding him finding ways to get him involved. I will say the major shortcoming in the Tad Boyle era, after all he's done for this program, has been lack of creativity and emphasis on offense. Offense, Evan Batty admitted to the media earlier this year that they only have two plays. Basketball is an execution-based game, so that's not the worst thing in the world. But I think that they need to switch it up a little bit more and try to keep throw teams off balance a little bit. Maybe a couple screens, a couple setups for longer shots from farther away. Just anything to find ways to score more points. 
because they're scoring nearly 20 points less over the past five games than they did during their six-game win streak. They averaged 86 points per game during the six-game win streak. Now they're at 65.8 during the past five. It's time to turn a corner. It's time to turn the corner. It's 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 it re it really is. You need to start scoring points, and if you don't score, you're not going to win games. I don't care how well you play on defense. It's it's just hard to do. They've played pretty well on defense the past few games. They held Washington to 77 points. Arizona, they did a good job with as well. They only scored 54. 63, rather. But still, you need to find more ways to score points to be successful in the Pac-12. If they are unable to do that, they could find themselves finishing in last place or the, or the bottom quarter of the conference, which given how good they were early in the season, granted against non-conference a non-conference schedule, is unacceptable in my mind. Because it would be the same story for the about the third straight season in a row, and Despite the fact that there's young guys on this team, they're exp they're they're soft. Most of them are sophomores now. Schwartz, Bay, Seaworth, they have some experience. So I want to see the forward progress in them. The excuse about them being young doesn't really fly anymore, especially not for this fan base that's growing more tired than ever, and is withdrawing support at least at the arena. That's what I'm hoping to see out of the basketball team for the rest of the year. Okay, so I promise you guys that I will have another podcast coming up next week. Apologies for the three-month hiatus. That was unwarranted. I know you guys want more analysis, and I promise to get it to you as well. Take care, Buffs fans. <laughs>